<laughs> right, Grand, I think we're good now. And uh, I'll start recording on this. <laughs> Alright, welcome back. It's Dermot back again with a very interesting discussion with Chris Carroll on the limits of the Irish government's current healthcare policy, Care. Chris is a member of the All-Ireland National Health Service campaign and the discussion is focused on an article that Chris wrote for Rebel News. I'd encourage people to give that a look and I'll stick a link to that in the episode description. Before getting into the discussion, I'd just like to plug our Patreon, as all support is massively appreciated and allows us to keep the show on the road. I'll also stick a link to where the second issue of Rupture Magazine can be purchased, as its theme on health has a lot of relevance to this discussion and one coming up later in the week with Diana O'Dwyer on the healthcare system more generally. Alright, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by member of the All-Ireland NHS campaign and Rebel News writer Chris Carroll. Thanks a million for joining me, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So, your article discusses the current overarching health policy of the Irish government, Care. Where did this policy originate? Uh, so, I suppose uh, Care comes out of um, the Committee of the Future of Healthcare. It was a committee set up following the 2016 general election um, and basically wrote in short or got an agreement for its go-ahead it happened before the um, government was was formed, while those kind of negotiations were taking place, and it ended up being a committee just of TDs, whereas usually these kind of uh, committees have senators and TDs, but there was no senators elected at that stage. Uh, and and what, what they did really was um, the group of them, I suppose, came up with uh, kind of this overarching document, which was a 10-year um, projected time frame for implementation assisted by a group of academics from Trinity College who won, I think, the tender for the uh, for the project and informed by uh, submissions from, from the public and from um, other kind of interested groups. Um, and eventually it came out with the, 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 the Slarger Care Report, which was published in May of 2017. Um, so that was the, I suppose that was the the beginnings of it um and i suppose since then it's 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 gone on to be uh, the overarching health policy which is um referred to i suppose in uh, in the south yeah perfect so you stated in the article that the final report produced was signif- or sorry scientifically coherent and included laudable aims for the future of healthcare in the south it had a vision for a one-tiered universal health system comparable with the beverage model of the NHS in the UK what were the specific aims of this model and how was it set to change the Irish health system yeah so the report was uh, quite comprehensive is is a, a long report and it did its main aim really was um, looking at moving towards one tier universal healthcare system something that i suppose we don't have here and um i suppose uniquely amongst i suppose developed developed countries we've 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 um never never had um the report went into detail on a kind of a number of aspects. Um, it looked at things like population need, how we're going to move towards delivering care based on need, 
um, how it, it looked at um, the idea of integrated care, which is a kind of in itself, a, um, you know, the, the, the term itself has some underlying kind of assumptions to it. That it but, but in general, the idea of how we're going to uh, integrate kind of social care and, and community care, community health care with, with uh, hospital care. It looked at, I suppose, how we're going to expand eligibility and access to healthcare, something which um, is really clearly a, a major deficit of our current system. Um, and it produced kind of recommendations on how that would go forward, how it would be funded and how it would be implemented. Um, so as you kind of mentioned, it, it suggested using a kind of beverage model. Um, the beverage model is a model of kind of paying for healthcare at a general taxation akin to the NHS in the UK and, uh, and other models, places like Denmark. Um, it, it looked at a few different models. Well, I suppose there's a few different models um, within, I suppose, normal kind of health policy um, theory. And the other, I suppose, model that you could potentially move to from an Irish perspective would be a kind of Bismarck model or social insurance model. That would be something that would be found more on, on um, in obviously Germany, as the name would suggest. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, mm -hmm. a social insurance model would be things like in in France as well. Although there are significant differences between them, um, then I suppose the other general model, um, and you know there are, there are kind of nuances to all this, is a kind of uh, just a private, almost free market model, which you'd see in in the US, and that was. The, the idea of movement that was dismissed immediately really because it, it's, it's it's incredibly expensive and inefficient and creates huge huge inequalities um so the model the beverage model would was was deemed to be the most uh, applicable to an irish context um and yeah i suppose as part of the campaign for an all-line nhs i agree with that really yeah yeah, so you, you mentioned that in the piece, there's a discussion of a few different models where were considered um, by the policy committee and the academics. They arrived at this model uh, through a comparison with with the UK one. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So um, I suppose the, the you know um, our historically our healthcare system obviously comes out of the same one as the UK has, uh, and therefore it was deemed to be the most um, the, the model which would be uh, most easily implemented because uh, we've no history of kind of social insurance uh, here. And um, I suppose it also, from from the perspective of our campaign, you know, um, I think it'd be important that we have the same type of healthcare system uh, model, both north and south. Um, so in general, in terms of what are kind of perceived to be the benefits and, and uh, the pros and cons of, of the models, um, the social insurance model, the main benefit that's stated of it really is that I suppose it kind of has a kind of guaranteed funding, which is not reliant on the government of the day. Whereas I suppose in, in a beverage model, you're relying on general taxation, um, you're relying on what the I suppose the whims of, of ever any particular government and I suppose we saw uh, after the last crash how uh, badly affected both um, 
the UK and um, our health system here were affected by austerity and that uh, a social insurance model would would kind of buffer that um, degree of, of um, uh, degree of kind of hardship on on the healthcare system however I suppose you have a model funded out of general taxation uh, it generally has more kind of democratic control I suppose would be the idea um, and as I said, yeah, for, for, for our perspective, um, given given the history of healthcare in Ireland, it's it's the one that's the most likely to be implementable. So you go on in the article to state that, regardless of how laudable the aims were at the time, that the meaning of Slauncha Care has totally transformed since the 2017 report, and they had, they've ended it with something significantly less effective than this why is that and, and how did that process develop so nowadays i suppose slanch care the term has pretty much lost all meaning really in political discourse um, it was um and and it had done almost from the very start so it was presented really as being a kind of cross-party consensus saying that you know I think Mick Barry was the only one who voted against it at the committee stage. So it was never um, really across party consensus. Um, and it's very hard for also for for politicians to say, oh, look, we're not going to vote for universal health care. Health care is, you know, meant to be a right. And it's hard for anyone who to to, to come out and, and just say openly that they don't think it's a right and, and that we think that, you know, the working class should be denied a, a right, uh, the right to healthcare. Um, but, 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 almost from the beginning, you know, um, it, there was never a, a real political commitment to it by the government. Um, it wasn't funded in the in the manner that was suggested. Um, there was meant to be a front loading of funding. The healthcare was meant to move into kind of uh, a common pot of funding. Um, the the, the implementation office was meant to be put under the Department of the Taoiseach, whereas it, it, it actually went into the Department of Health. Mm. Um, and um, the ideals of Slanch Care were really put on the back burner, you know, partly because maybe the 10-year implementation framework meant that it could be kicked down the road. But at the same time, you also had um, right-wing politicians using the term Slanch Care as um, an illusion uh, of a commitment to change so it could always be said that look what you know there's this this you know for, for the, the issue of the day well okay look we have we have slancher care we have our plan the plan's been agreed on a cross-party basis you you know this is you know we have a plan for that and um, it was a way of kind of yeah diverting attention away from the systems systems flaws um, I suppose we also saw then subsequently in in terms of the uh, its implementation framework for slanch care, it moved away from this idea of universal health care and, and focused on expanded eligibility. And uh, in practice, what the main thing that it, that it ended up doing was it didn't get the funding that was suggested in the in the report. Um, it ended up um, there was there was its main piece of work, I suppose, to date. You know, maybe it will kick on from here, but its main piece of work to date was this thing called the Slanch Care Integration Fund, 
Mm. And that that required, I suppose, um, uh, organisations, many many of whom were within that, you know, many of whom were kind of uh, parts of the HSE to apply for funding and introduced kind of a competitive process into getting funding from Slanch Care outside of the funding mechanisms within the HSE. So, so, um, uh, and then there was, there was an internal competition then basically for the worthiness of, of healthcare. And that kind of goes against all, all the ideals of Slanch Care. You know, the Slanch Care was meant to be from, you're meant to be using a common plot mm-hmm. parts. You, you're meant to be, you know, collaborative, integrative, um, rather than this, once off funding mechanism which is, is no way to kind of plan a healthcare system in, in the long term you know yeah i think the the process of when i was reading the article uh, the process of hollowing out of the term slancha care it kind of raised similar uh stories or accounts that i would have read in terms of medicare in the u.s or just the kind of general approach towards towards even the national health service in the uk just in the in discussing uh, this, you also highlight that the history of healthcare reform in Ireland shines a light on its political nature and how even previous attempts to reform healthcare have faced stiff opposition. What can we learn from this history? Yeah, I suppose um, one of the aspects of slanch care, um, which was promoted heavily, was the idea that it would take. Um, the politics out of health mm. or take health out of politics i'm not sure which but one of them anyway and uh, maybe both <laughs> um and i suppose what i would argue is that that's not possible yeah. um and looking back even i suppose um looking back not only to ireland but um internationally we see that where there's been i suppose a significant healthcare reform it's come from social movements um and um i think the social context is is extremely important so um i suppose yeah in that article that you reference i do go back all the way to the english civil war um but argue that demands for healthcare then really uh, came to the forefront um uh, following you know during and uh, following the 1948 revolutions um and I suppose we see then the birth of the current forms of healthcare systems uh, uh, later in the, into the 19th century. Um, in 1883, you had um, Otto von Bismarck uh, conceding demands from a, from a, a rising labour movement for um, a form of social health insurance called the, so- the Sickness Insurance Law. And specifically at the time, you know, his, his idea, his stated idea, was that it would, it would bribe the working classes and that we would divide them um and uh, that was you know it's similar then uh, legislative gains in in france and the uk in uh, the decades following and i suppose uh, going on from that then if we look at the the kind of model that we'd be mo- that i suppose most of us would be familiar with would be the kind of uk and how the nhs came into being uh, following world war ii and I suppose there was a huge amount of uh, industrial uh, unrest during the Second World War and following it, um, which allowed the Labour Party to sweep in. Um, and um, while the NHS and its birth was uh, was is lauded, you know, it actually was um, uh, based around 
a form of uh, health healthcare service or system called, I think it was the emergency medical service that had been uh, introduced during the war. Um, and at the time, Bevan uh, described it as, um, as socialism, you know, um, you know, you can, that can be debated because he had to grant concessions even from the very start. Mm. Um, but undoubtedly it was, um, uh, it, it wouldn't have happened had it not been for the um, social movements that lay behind that, 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 that the entire, um, uh, the entire, I suppose, mood of the country at that time. Um, it, then I suppose, from from an Irish perspective, we uh, after after World War Two there was uh, suggestions of universal healthcare, and uh, a white paper was produced in 1947 proposing this kind of beverage style healthcare system, and then another one in 1949 which proposed a form of social insurance. Um, but there was never that social movement in Ireland. Um, demanding change and um, reform was defeated, I suppose, uh, most famously um, uh, the medical profession and, and the church uh, opposed Noel Brown's kind of mother and child scheme, mm -hmm. uh, which is an attempt to introduce universal health care for mothers and children up to the age of 16. Um, so that's kind of um, was was a kind of famous defeat for universal health care in Ireland. And I suppose we've seen that ever since, you know, um, that 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 um, delivering health, universal healthcare isn't as easy as it might seem, and that even after this large care report was was released, it was opposed by the Irish Medical Organisation and the Irish Hospital Consultants Association, who opposed the idea of removing private practice from public hospitals. So there will always be a fight on in the struggle for kind of universal healthcare. Just, just to kind of dig into the opposition of those medical organisations, um, what is the just the stated justification of that opposition, and is there more to it than that? Well, um, nobody is going to say they don't believe in in healthcare as a right. Uh, it's it, that that is something that is meant to be. Um, you know, we see we see the rise of kind of right-based advocacy from healthcare, um, which is which is which has developed over time, um, and and many people say, yeah, okay, you know, how, and how, you can't argue against it. Uh, but what you find is that um, where healthcare has been won, really, it's not been under the guise of healthcare as a right. Um, it's been it's been a, a demand a demand of a social movement. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, I suppose, the, the, the arguments often given by, um, I suppose, the right and those who, who oppose um, universal healthcare and wish to protect um, the private provision of healthcare is this um, idea of choice. And mm. um, even, um, even I heard the CEO of the HSE, uh, Paul Reed, talking about this, that, that you know, people, people are entitled to choice. Um, but it's a form of um, a bourgeois choice. Uh, it's a choice that um, the healthcare system that we have is uh, not designed to, um, to serve the working class. Um, and 
the former the former choice it talks about is is that where you can those who can afford it can can pay privately uh, but their choice is is obviously uh, based on the fact that these this private healthcare uh, leeches off our public system um, it cherry picks the most profitable forms of healthcare and it doesn't deliver those that are not profitable so if you're extremely sick you'll end up in a public hospital um, yeah. um, and those private healthcare systems you know private healthcare obviously um, uh, has been kind of supported by the, the government in particular uh, since the the early 2000s um, but that um uh, that that um yeah it's it's uh it's it's something that uh it's great it's great if you have the choice but it's it's not a way to run a healthcare um system um for the benefit of all absolutely you go on in the piece to reference British socialist GP Julian Tudor Hart and his theory of inverse care law. What is this and what does it tell us about private and public health care systems? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, she's Julian Tudor Hart. So um, he was he was great. Yeah, he was great. He was a GP who ended up working in a Welsh mining village and he was a he was a, he was an out and out socialist um, ran for the Communist Party for elections on a number of occasions um and he produced this uh this paper uh, which described this thing called which he termed the inverse care law and um i suppose i do i may as well read out the the, yeah. the, the kind of opening paragraph to it um so he states that the availability of good medical care tends to vary inversely with the need for it in the population served um so that's that's kind of common enough like i think everyone kind of you know would recognize that so all he's saying there is that you know um those who you know those uh who need healthcare most are often most um those who can't can't get it you know yeah. and we see that all the time you know we know, we kind of know that um but what he goes on uh, to say is that this the inverse care law operates more completely where medical care is most exposed to market forces and less so where such exposure is reduced. So uh, he's bringing it back to the market there and how um, healthcare delivered by the market inevitably leads, it leads to healthcare inequalities. Um, and he states um, in a book he wrote called The, the Political Economy of, of um, Healthcare that the inverse care law is an effect of capitalism which relentlessly subordinates human values to the pursuit of profit. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, you know, I think nowadays, I don't know why it is, if it's because of a form of um, uh, sort of capitalist realism where we can't imagine anything outside of the market. But uh, usually when he's he's quoted, it's it's kind of in a, in a sense of, of saying, Oh, isn't this awful? You know, isn't it awful that mm. people who need healthcare don't have access to it? And the and the idea of the market is never really brought into it. Um, and I suppose um, so. Just to just to just to kind of state it, I suppose he he does describe the inverse care law specifically relates to both individuals and then to societies, you know, or the system more generally. Um, so he, he gives the example of um, historically the care that doctors working in poorer mining communities um, in England and Wales would have been able to provide for large communities where they wouldn't have had 
you know the time or resources that could have been you know afforded to um more wealthy uh, patients in in um uh in kind of i suppose he often refers to london to be honest but yeah. but more wealthy um, patients who can basically buy more time uh from from their doctors but also i suppose we see at a societal level and i've kind of referenced it before that um where you have healthcare delivered by the market um, what you have is resources diverted to affluent communities or to more lucrative types of medical care so um, we see this very clearly in Ireland um, uh, we see where you know uh, I'll give a specific example um, of um, one of the, 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 the you know we have um, at the time of Mary, Mary Harney when she was the Minister for Health uh, there was a reform made to radiation oncology services in Ireland and they relied on this kind of public-private partnerships um, uh, but ultimately what happened is it, it meant that most of the um, facilities we have for radiation oncology now are, are based in Dublin you know there, there's radiation oncology elsewhere in you know in Cork and, and Galway and, yeah. and there's a private facility in Limerick um, but you, you have this kind of awful situation where you have people from places places especially in Donegal and that you know having to travel huge distances um, and so yeah so but there was more there's a market in Dublin so the private facilities are set up there um, and then private healthcare in general always will cherry pick those those things that are, will make them the most money so um yeah we, we 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 see that um we see that sort of repeating itself you know this this kind of uh, law that uh, julian tudor hart described um back in in 1971 is still as true today and um unfortunately what we what we have to remember is is the kind of context of that law when we do talk about it because obviously at that time there would have been far more debates about the differences between markets and planning and the debate, you know, but I think that's been lost now. And, um, uh, but it's something that I suppose we, maybe we need to need to talk more about. Yeah. Given that reliance on the markets and the kind of social context that all of these developments are taking place in, you make the point in the article that the real failure failure of Slanchicare was that it was a, a technocratic fix to a social problem. You might just elaborate on this and what, what you mean by it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do, yeah, I kind of say that slange care was, uh, yeah, um, a technocratic um, solution to a social problem. And I think that's correct because as we kind of talked about already, um, a lot of the slange care document is, 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 correct um and those especially those academics from trinity who worked on it um have very very good um very very uh, have great critiques of the the healthcare system they have written some of the most important i suppose pieces around um the failures in our healthcare system um but there was this idea that you could take healthcare out of politics um and there was this idea that okay now we have this document you know this great document and basically it needs to be implemented um and it seized on a, a kind of form of mainstream health policy um based on work by by a person called kingdon 
and it, and they thought that there was this kind of policy window for healthcare reform. So the idea was that there's a there's a there's 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 three parts to it. Okay, so there was a problem, you know, and we know the problem. It's the healthcare crisis. Uh, it's being kind of perpetual, and I think everyone every, everyone is kind of well aware of of many of the of the many many failings of it. Um, there was now a solution, which is the second thing, and the solution was slanter care. Mm-hmm. And then there was a political consensus. Um, there was this kind of uh, political consensus from the committee stages. Um, so in theory, you know, they they met all of this, all of this, all of the requirements in order to advance this policy were in place. But I suppose it never really looked at the class forces. Um, which have reproduced our uh, two-tiered health system. Um, and I think that looking back of, over what we've talked about in terms of historical, uh, historical examples of reform, I think that we need to, we need to understand that, that these sort of massive changes to, that will be required to deliver universal health care will have to be fought for. Um, so yeah there was the the it's it's a real shame it would be great you know i i when when the slanch care document was released i was um very keen on it um i was very hopeful mm. um but it's i think that um it would be it's all a bit too easy i think that kind of shows the issue with expecting that the political consensus comes from either within the, at that committee level or in Leinster House and doesn't take into account the kind of private interests that are at play here or the like you said the class forces kind of bound up in a lot of these things whether it's healthcare or housing or the environment you'd often or I'd often hear in some sectors of environmental movements that like we just need to divorce the issue from politics and and that that'd solve it but it doesn't take into account um the real interest of polluting companies or business and things like that. So that is a, an, like an interesting angle. No, yeah, well, absolutely. And and we've seen that any time, um, uh, you know, there's been a, lo- a lot of documents produced um, around, you know, health reform. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's, you know, they, they don't get implemented. And there's a slight naivety as yeah. to, as to you know, you know, we have this really good, plan like it's just mm-hmm. a, you know why isn't why aren't we getting this really good plan it's there like it's just in the documents we should just do that um and yeah i think that is naive um and i think that we've seen from the history of 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 healthcare reform both here and and um elsewhere that that you know that it, that moves towards universal healthcare will be opposed um so yeah i think you're right there and 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 what you said about um about other aspects you know there's other aspects obviously healthcare um uh, is forms a small part of our overall health um but for for all the other aspects of that 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 will determine uh, your health in the end what we call kind of the social determinants of health um be it kind of things like housing or education or anything mm-hmm. like that they're all they're all um um they will have to be fought for as well there's going to be a struggle in uh involved in 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 all aspects of of, of i suppose improving health overall yeah in the concluding part of the piece you kind of make the assessment that like 
or after making the assessment made clear that the approach that Slanchikar had taken was from the beginning kind of unlikely to deliver equitable healthcare um, just because of the preconceptions that they entered with. Why is this and, and what's the alternative that you kind of paint in the article or put forward in the article? Yeah, so I suppose it never never considered the class forces involved uh, in, in in terms of historically why we are where we are. And I think this should be a lesson for the future um, that we we won't get healthcare delivered um by those who have never ch- challenged those class forces before mm. um the campaign for an all owner the nhs has you know a number of demands um but it's broadly trying to build a movement uh, and a movement which should incorporate people from all different, I suppose, left parties, um, unions, um, and other and other campaign groups that will be able to fight uh, for a universal healthcare system, both uh, in the south and in the north, where I suppose the NHS has seen, I suppose, a, a consistent, I suppose, um, undermining since Thatcher, really. Um, so I suppose. Um, we do. We have seen that radical change is possible. COVID nineteen showed that radical change is possible. You know, the private hospitals were 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 supposed taken over, although huge amount of rent paid for it. Yeah. Um, but change was possible in a short period of time, um, and that's been you know you know so that is that is possible. Um, but it's it won't happen without that broad social movement behind it. Um, and yeah, so I suppose yeah, I would would encourage people, um, I suppose to to join us in the All Ireland NHS campaign. Um, we're looking um, to build that social movement, and I suppose we've done. Um, we've been, I suppose, kind of fairly active over the, the this year, promoting kind of online online events um, with, you know, those those affected by our healthcare system, but also quite um uh quite 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 uh, incis- incisive what's the word uh, <laughs> not insightful insightful, <laughs> insightful uh, uh kind of commentators um um we've been looking to do i suppose limited forms of kind of direct action um, but we've also got a number of councils on board um to support the the the, the idea of an all-island nhs um and we think that it is something that makes sense you know um uh for 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 an nhs or a healthcare system to be a th- sort of 32 county um nhs which integrates healthcare and social care uh and which is publicly um controlled and provided and free at the point of use so yeah there's um um so 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 i suppose yeah we'll 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 keep going yeah and i'll i'll, I'll stick a link to uh the campaign in the episode description for people to take a look at um just i think the pandemic most recently has shown the need for kind of all ireland approach or all island approach uh to these problems it's quite hard to cordon off health issues to north or south um 
of the island. So so absolutely. Um, just ha- where does the campaign go from here? Like wh- when did it launch and and what's the what's its like oncoming kind of plan? We I suppose we're we're continuing to 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 build as we have been doing um, with online meetings, which I suppose we'll announce um, a, a kind of series of further online meetings uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but we we are looking forward to post COVID um, and a time where we can we can organise on the ground together. Obviously, that's been a, a real limitation of COVID to, um, I suppose, the left in general, you know, yeah. um, where we've been kind of constrained. Um, and, yeah, I suppose we, I suppose, yeah, we, we, we're kind of, um, uh, we'll have kind of, yeah, a number of, a number of, sort of strings to our bow as such, but it all depends on, uh, you know, we're, we're a kind of, we're a, we're a, on the ground campaign, a bottom up yeah. campaign. So it all depends on kind of getting people involved as well. Uh, so yeah, I would would ask that people do do come and, and get involved and support us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be uh, I'll be doing the same, and it's something to put 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 your weight behind. But I think that uh, that's perfect for us today. I think we've hit on a lot. So I'll just say thanks a million for joining me, Chris. That was was great. Thanks, thanks a million for having me, and, and take care and have a nice Christmas. Okay, so thanks a million for listening. As I said, more can be found in the episode description, along with a link to Chris's article and our Patreon. Thanks a million. See you next time. Goodbye. Another day, one shoelace beating the other people in the bus shouting at one another. Can of two more guy moment.